This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Tethered Nation, you guys have heard me talk about the saddle setup, tethered saddle setup, the Predator platform for quite some time. This is the second full season that I've used it. Um, I've killed out of it twice now. Uh, and really what it has helped me do, I figured instead of, you know, I've given you guys specs, the weight and how light it is, bulky free that it is and so on and so forth. But I thought today I would give you a little bit of a testimonial, um, as you know, I will credit, you know, and, and there's been a lot of people who've had a lot of influence on how I've started to hunt and how I've kind of evolved as a hunter, but I would say there's been no piece of equipment that's been more instrumental in me making that evolution than tethered's saddle setups. Um, the reason I say that is, is that, you know, I'm a guy that works like a normal job, like everybody else out there. And so when I go on hunting trips or I'm hunting, you know, I have a limited time to get, to get stuff done. Um, you know, so I typically want to hunt more aggressively and that's something I've challenged myself with the past, you know, year and a half was to just, you know, to be more aggressive and don't lay back. Um, and the saddle setup has really helped me do that because I've spent much more time with boots on the ground scouting than I ever have in years, years past. And that's really because, I'm not carrying a bunch of bulky stuff into the, into the timber with me. And so I don't mind, it's not a hindrance to carry my saddle setup. And that way, when I find fresh sun, I can get into the tree and I don't have to leave and come back and drop scent. You know, if once I see it, I'm in the tree hunting it, I'm not finding it, setting up a stand, taking the time to do that, then leaving and coming back and hunting it the next day. I'm literally getting into the tree and hunting it at that moment. And I can't say that if I was using any other setup other than a saddle setup, specifically tethered gear, that I would be making the same strides I'm making now and becoming a more aggressive and a more mobile hunter. So if this is something that you're interested in, if you want to challenge yourself to be more mobile, more aggressive, and go find deer instead of letting the deer find you, then I would suggest that you go to tetherednation.com and check out all their saddle gear. I guarantee you if you get into it, you won't be disappointed uh, and you'll probably become an addict like me. 
First thing I do in the morning before a hunt is, of course, I have to have my morning coffee. And I'm sure most of you out there probably feel the same. Make sure you're filling your mug with Skull Brew Coffee as it is the only coffee company that is both 2% for conservation certified and, of course, donates 10% of their profits to conservation organizations who are helping us to secure the future of our wild places. So head to SkullBrewCoffee.com and choose between three killer roasts of coffee and know that you are supporting conservation with every sip. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 158. Today, I'm wrapping up the third and final DIY Report miniseries with John Eberhardt, and today, we're covering freelance hunting, so stay tuned. Happy Wednesday to you all. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're feeling fine. And a very Merry Christmas to everybody. Putting this out on Christmas Day. I don't think I've ever put an episode out on Christmas Day before. So this is the uh, this is the first one. I uh, hope everyone's enjoying their Christmas morning. Hopefully you're having a little coffee. Maybe this podcast is a little reprieve from the, uh, the family events of the day when you need just a little bit of a break from family. Maybe after you open presents, you have your coffee. Maybe you have a little breakfast. Maybe you have an early... Christmas lunch, and then maybe you get to sneak away for a little bit and get a little deer hunting in your in your life. Maybe if you're super lucky, you're able to out go out and get a hunt in. For me, late season kicks off here officially in PA. I was hunting a little bit during gun season with my bow. Um, I got out twice, but as I think I mentioned in a previous podcast, I let that kind of lay dormant during that period of time and and catch up on some things that I needed to catch up on. Um, and then our late season comes in on the 26th. So tomorrow, the day after Christmas, and I will hit it then from then until I think it's January 25th. I want to say this year, it always runs at the end of January. It just depends on how the weekends fall. And so I'll be out and about getting after it, uh, for the last month. So with that, you know, my deer update for the, for the week was, you know, I have some time off here over the holiday, um, pretty much all this week. And then, you know, we'll go back to work after the, after the, I guess the second, maybe. I think it's the second. Um, so I'll, I had a little bit of time off, so I got a chance to get out into the woods. And I think I mentioned the last time I was going to try to, or at least when Chad and I did the, the uh, one session, a Q&A session together, I'd mentioned wanting to get out and start to investigate some larger pieces of public that are not too far from me to, you know, be able to hunt a little bit more mobile um, and have a little bit more room to roam. And so I was going to start to use late season here and, and looking for late season opportunities as also a way to kind of get a jump start on some of my scouting for next September and October because the season around here comes in in September. So always thinking about next year and kind of already making plans. So I did that this past weekend, uh, had a chance to to get out and do, do a scout, took the pup out with me. And, uh, this chunk is a couple thousand acres. So I wasn't going to get, a, you know, wasn't going to cover the whole thing. in, in, in one day, of course, um, did some map studying, kind of picked a spot that I was interested in. That was kind of like this little Island, uh, area that, well, the area surrounding this Island, but there was like, there's a, a pretty large stream. It's not, a, I wouldn't classify it as a river, but it's a pretty big Creek. Um, it kind of creates this Island in this one area. And I didn't think that it was going to be good for late season. So I, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have prioritized the area, but I wanted to go check this out. And then there was some surrounding stuff around it. And then I couldn't tell on the, on the map, um, there was a field that was close by that was adjacent to it relatively close. And so I wanted to check that out. It was a big open area. And so I wasn't sure 
if it was a crop field, if it was a hay field, if it was a pasture, I wasn't exactly sure what it was. So I wanted to get up in there and try to figure out what that was. That way, if there was any benefit to late season, then I'd also have that kind of section or that part of like the, the year covered as well. So when I pulled in, I actually, you know, it, there's a, some hiking trails that are around here. So it was, you know, where I had to stop driving there, the road was kind of closed. You stop, you start walking. So I just hopped up into the timber because I didn't want to miss scouting anything on my way through. And I was like, well, I'll just make this big loop around because there was another big open field that it wasn't, well, there were a couple of them and I wanted to kind of get to those to see what were in those. Um, one of them driving by, I could see what it was. It was just a big fallow field. Looked like it'd probably be decent for some, some bird hunting. Um, but a lot of times that can also provide great, you know, thermal cover and cover for deer as well. Um, so I wanted to get up there and check that out. Did, uh, make my way to that. Unfortunately, I didn't even make it to the spot that I intended to make it, make it to. I just, I found some decent stuff. What I would say is decent stuff for fall. I didn't see anything that was going to get me really excited for late season. Um, the other kind of thing is too, is like at this time of year, a lot of gun hunters have their stands still out in the timber and stuff like that. So it's hard to tell what's a gun hunter stand versus what's a bow hunter stand. You can, st- you can, you, you can partially tell by the, by the setups, um, what they've, what they've got them there for. Um, and so looking at, you know, what I'd seen yesterday, it feels like they're probably gun hunters is what I would, is what I would imagine. Um, I did find a couple decent rubs and I did find a, um, uh, I guess two scrapes. Um, the one really kind of piqued my interest cause it was in, it was in cover. Um, and it was actually in an area that I jumped to deer. So I found a couple deer yesterday. The area is pretty thick. Um, so there's plenty of browse and browse in there. And, uh, and those scrapes, uh, weren't far from that as, along with a, uh, along with a rub. So, you know, I, that was a one piece that I kind of checked out. I checked out the adjacent field that was there. Um, of course, that thing was lined with stands and blinds from, from gun season and surprising. Well, I shouldn't say surprisingly, but it was, you know, there were some stands that were set up, you know, maybe 30 to 50 yards apart from each other, which kind of blows my mind. Cause I'm not sure what you're hunting whenever you're, when there's some guy sitting, you know, 30, 30 yards from you. Um, but anyway, I kind of walked the edge of that. <clears throat> Unfortunately, where all like the kind of Oak trees were that were, that, that were dropping any kind of acorns were right around the rim of that field. Which, you know, maybe early, you know, maybe, you know, October when they start to drop a little bit, it might be worth a hunt in that area. You get back, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much pressure this piece gets during during bow season, so I'm not 100% sure. But there was no there was no acorns like actually deep in the timber where all like the where all the um, thick kind of viney, nasty, you know, green briary stuff was. There was just that was just non-existent in that in that area. Um, as I worked my way around the edge of this field, like there, you know, there, there was more and more acorns on the ground. You know, you might think, yes, you know, based on what Chad and I were talking about, this could be a decent spot to set up because there's some residual acorns laying around. But the reality of it was, is as I picked them up, I could smash them with my hands. So they were rotted on the inside. So the deer aren't going to be eating those. So that was kind of a no go for that. It also is way too close to the field edge where this time of year, you know, deer aren't going to be getting that close to a field edge anywhere near, uh, daylight, uh, this time of year in Pennsylvania. Uh, so it was really kind of a no go. So I, I abandoned that spot, hopped over to this other area and saw some decent stuff on this piece. Cause it looks as though it's way less pressured. It's kind of a piece that you would think that it's, you start to get close to some houses, um, which was kind of interesting. Uh, there's a hiking trail that goes through there that, you know, I'm sure people use during, you know, early fall ish. Um, but there were, there was a nice, uh, Oak flat that was in there as well. I did see one stand that was in there again, 
it felt more like a gun hunting stand than it did a uh, than it did a bow stand. So we'll we'll see if it's you know, if it reappears sometime in October or not, or you know late August September if it's you know a bow hunter uh, setup. But there were a couple decent rubs that I found that I found in there um, that piqued my interest. One area area in particular that I feel like is probably a little overlooked because it's actually transitioning to this hay field, and it would be a perfect little transition area for deer to kill some time before it gets fully dark out for them to make their way to that, you know, primary kind of grazing green food source during, you know, early, you know, mid September to the beginning of October. Um, there were a handful of rubs that were in there and for PA, you know, I will say, like, I won't say sizable, you know, I would say it suggests that there is a decent deer probably in, in that area, just based on the height of the, uh, of the rub, uh, the handful of rubs, um, so that's an area that I'd probably prioritize in that. And it's, it's pretty reasonably thick and there are a, like one or two oaks in there that had dropped, uh, this past year. So we'll see if they drop again next year. Um, but that would be one place that I would definitely throw a hunt at because it seems like it's just a little overlooked place that's off this, you know, little path that's like all grown up. So there's, I don't imagine that there'd be really any hikers walking through there cause you're actually getting pretty close to, you know, people's homes, you know, off, off this piece of public, um, so I definitely, you know, plan to check that spot out, but the, my goal yesterday was to try to get some cameras out. Um, and it wasn't a super long hike. I want to say I did just a little over four miles, um, just a quick afternoon outing with the dog. Um, wanted to see if I could get a camera or two or out for late season and, um, nothing piqued my interest enough for late season to put anything out. So wrap that up, came home. And then, uh, you know, today, of course, I'm going to be butchering my deer from, from Iowa. So that's the, that's the plans for today. So that's really the, the whitetail update. We'll get back out in the timber here, uh, this week and see if we can't get something done for, uh, for, for late season. So with that though, we have a super cool show for you today. If you've been following along, I've had John Eberhardt on, on two separate podcasts over the past couple weeks. Uh, going through the DIY report miniseries and in some some areas that he's super knowledgeable about. So if you've not listened to those, I would definitely go back and check those out. The first one was around entry and, uh, entry and exit, so access strategies. Uh, and then the most recent one was on hunting hunting scrapes um, or hunting primary scrapes or active scrape, uh, scrape areas. So both of those were chock full of great information. If you've not checked either of those out, I would do so. This is the third part of that three part series. And what we're talking about today, it kind of goes hand in hand with all three of the things that we've or the two previous things we've talked about to this point. And, and today's session is all about freelance hunting. And if you know anything about John, you know, he, he's a hardcore saddle hunter. Um, and freelance hunting is one of the things that he puts into his arsenal. And I will say, if you've listened to any of the previous podcasts of like my Iowa hunt and so forth, or just in general this year, how I've been approaching the year, a lot of my hunts this year have been freelance hunts. Um, and you know, we'll get into like what freelance means and so forth, but it, it, the combination of freelance hunting and hunting over active primary scrape areas has kind of dramatically changed the quality of animals I'm seeing and the type of encounters that I'm, that I'm having. Um, and I will say it's just been a hell of a lot more fun. You know, I'm walking into situations, finding sign and setting up on it and, you know, not hoping that I have an opportunity, but knowing that I'm in the right spot to have an opportunity and having a ton of confidence. So, and that's, you know, as, as a lot of us talk about in the bow hunting world, confidence is like nine, nine tenths the battle. Um, if you don't think you're going to kill from a spot, you probably shouldn't be in it. Um, and so this kind of form of hunting, a freelance hunting that you're really going out and setting up on stuff when you see stuff, 
um, to me, just kind of breeds that confidence that you need as a boat hunter to get the job done. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this up front uh, or shut this up front down and get to the session with uh, Mr. Eberhart. Before I do that, I want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for your support this past year. And uh, here's to a kick-ass 2020. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. You are listening to the third and final part of this DIY report with uh, one Mr. John Eberhart. How are you doing, sir? Clint, I'm doing very well. Good. Well, I'm glad, to, I'm, I'm glad to spend this morning with you. I'm telling you what, if I can't be out deer hunting, I don't know that there'd be too many people I'd rather spend my time talking to than, uh, than, than John Eberhart. Well, thank you. Yeah, you bet, man. Nice. So this section here, we're going to be talking about freelance hunting. I know in our first two parts, if you've not listened, folks out there, if you haven't listened to the first two parts of this DIY report miniseries, you're definitely going to want to do that. So far, we've covered exit and entry route strategies. We've talked about hunting active scrape areas. Um, and this part, we're going to be talking about freelance hunting. You know, there's, um, we'll get into what, what exactly that is, but you know, I think all the things we've talked about to this point kind of are applicable to freelance hunting. Now, I know we talked a little bit about it in our first session about entrance and exit um, strategies, just because whenever you're freelance hunting, you know, you oftentimes don't have the benefit of knowing exactly, you know, the terrain that you're in, the property that you're in and so on and so forth. But without further ado, John, if you wouldn't mind explaining, you know, for folks out there that are listening that maybe, you know, maybe they, they've always hunted preset locations in the past and maybe, you know, diving off into the unknown, um, for maybe better opportunities might be something that they're a little hesitant to do. Can you just kind of describe in your opinion, you know, what your method is as far as like, what is freelance hunting? Yeah, to me, there's three different methods of freelance hunting. Uh, first one, which is the most common is just going into a new piece of property with your hunting gear. You're searching for the best available deer sign and then immediately setting up on it and hunting. Uh, The second one would be hunting, like I mentioned earlier, when I killed that bigger big buck in uh, out of state, is going into a preset location and not liking the sign you're seeing or the deer activity and you notice something maybe in a distance and you've never been back there. And basically, so you you get down, you pull, you know, you pull out your uh, preset three steps or whatever, and you go back in and you search for a new spot to hunt that evening. Uh, so that would be the number two. And then the number third, three, would be basically when you get to a preset location and this, let's say it's a location you had set up during postseason or you've had it set up from previous seasons and you get there and there's no sign, let's say you were set up at a white oak tree and it didn't drop acorns that year so you get there and now well god there's no acorns there's no deer activity here so basically what you're doing is you have to freelance and go back in deeper or whatever to a new location to hunt that afternoon so those are the three different types of freelance hunting it's basically where you're going in some place you've never been there before and you're searching for hot signs setting up on it and hunting it that evening so what did typically there not rarely are they morning because obviously you can't see anything in the morning. Right. What, uh, in your opinion, what are, what are the benefits of, of freelance hunting as opposed to, I know, you know, there's, there are clear benefits to having a place preset, you know, pre-hung or not pre-hung, but you know, preset trees. Um, you have Intel about the area, but to, in your opinion, what are some of the benefits of, of, of freelance hunting? 
Uh, it's a spur of the moment, and everything, whatever you set up on, is going to be it's going to be fresh. Mm-hmm. It's never been hunted before. Uh, preset locations. A lot of times, guys will hunt preset locations multiple times during the year, and every time you hunt it, you know your your odds of and your percentages go down. Yeah. Uh, whereas on a free, freelance hunt, you're going back looking for fresh sign, hunting it, so every everything's new and first time that spot's been hunted. So yeah. you've got the element surprise. Every every freelance hunt that I've done this year so far, I've actually had uh, an encounter with a buck, and it was the first and it was the first time in, and that was like to me, I'm uh, in my normal day to day life, I'm a creature of habit, very much so. You know, like I like to do things in certain orders. Like it's maybe it's mild OCD. Who knows, right? <laughs> but you know, the uh, freelance yeah. hunting has helped me kind of break that cycle of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Um, not yeah. knowing what's going to be around the next bend, not necessarily even at times knowing what deer are going to be in the area, which increases my excitement a little bit because it's the element of the unknown. But more than anything, what it has done, getting more comfortable with um, freelance hunting has consistently put me on hot sign. Like, and that's been, I think to me, the biggest difference in why I'm having the encounters I'm having this year versus what I've had in years past, because I'm, I'm walking up to a scrape if it's hot and it looks like it's been laid down in the past 24 hours or been tended to in the past 24 hours. I don't pass it. I just set up immediately, depending on where it's at. Like if we go back to our previous scrape conversation, it's got to be in some cover. I'm not hunting something on a field edge. It's got to be back into cover or I've got to see multiple scrapes in an area that tells me it's being used heavily. Or like yesterday, I found a bunch of fresh rubs that were literally the shavings were still laying on the ground. So with the amount of wind that we've had recently, it's like there's no reason they shouldn't have been covered up, which told me that had been done in the past 24 hours. And sure enough, I set up on that spot and saw a buck. So it's like, to me, the value of the first sit, but also it's helping me break the cycle of, of repetitiveness and starting and allowing the deer to pattern me to a degree. Yep. The more ammunition you have in your arsenal, the more dangerous you are to mature bucks. There's no question about that. You know, you look at, I guess as an example, probably everybody that listens to your podcast knows who Kevin Van Dam is. Mm-hmm. You know, he's probably been, over the last 25 years, the most prominent bass fisherman on tour. And Kevin can Kevin has a lot of ammo in his arsenal. He can fish hard baits. He can fish soft baits. He can fish spinner baits. He can fish muddy water. He can fish rough water. He can fish clear water. He knows how to fish in just about any situation, whereas most pro bass fishermen, you know, they're very good at one or two specific things. Obviously... If, you know, if water's clear and it's early season and fish are bedding, you can sight fish. Anybody can do that. But Kevin can fish in any circumstance and be pretty pretty efficient at it. And it's the same way with bow hunting. The more you know about how to hunt different types of situations, you know, freelance hunting, do-it-yourself hunting, preset locations, uh, you know the difference between a morning location and an evening location, and you know the difference this should be an early season location or this is a rut phase location or this is a transition zone between bedding areas that should be hunted during the pre-rut only. You know, once you get all those, all that ammunition in your arsenal, you're just going to become a much more dangerous hunter, and freelancing is definitely add, adds to that because you learn a lot when you're freelancing. 100%. You just go in it. 
active sign right there on the spur of the moment, exactly like you described and setting up on it. Yeah. And there's nothing to say, like for me, you know, what I freelanced into yesterday, um, will soon, it will in the years to come will become preset locations because what I saw yesterday and got into was on the edge of a, it was in a swamp area, but on the edge of a cedar thicket. And I saw a ton of doe activity and I saw that buck and what that told me with like the rubs that were there. And then the scrape that I also found, I was like, man, this is a transition area to bedding that I'm in. And this will be hot during pre-rut. It's probably also, if I can pinpoint where the, those are betting, which I think I know where they're betting, the downwind side of that's probably going to be pretty good for rut too. you know. And so I started kind of putting the puzzle pieces together. So I've started using freelance hunting as a way for me to always be scouting because that's the one thing that I know from guys like you or, you know, any other guys that we mutually know that are, that are you know, good hunters and, and killing good deer is that they're doing a lot of scouting, even when they're in season, even when they're hunting, they're taking in what the woods is telling them that way they have that in their arsenal, just like you're talking about of having ammo for every situation. And that's what this is helping me do. It's, it's expediting my learning curve. That's, that's an excellent point because on a freelance hunt during season, you're setting up immediately on the fresh sign. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're just scouting in season without your bow and hunting equipment Basically, when you find a location, you typically prepare it so that location has had a human intrusion. Mm-hmm. And then the next time you hunt it, it would actually be worse than having that location already have been preset during postseason. It would be worse because you spent time cleaning a location up, cutting some shooting lanes possibly on private land, um, and basically making a huge human intrusion and probably leaving, even if you did it in Suntlock, you're probably going to leave some semblance of odor because you're moving around so much. Uh, whereas on a freelance, you're going in, setting up, boom, you're, you're hunting it and possibly killing something on that very first hunt, as opposed to it being a second second hunt at a spot where you went in and during season and set it up. Yeah. So you made a human intrusion. So actually your first hunt is actually your second intrusion into that spot. Yeah. I mean, I think, but yeah, the, let me interrupt for a second. Yeah. Go Typically ahead. on a, on a hunt, you know, like what you said. Yeah. When you go in and you find a hot spot like that, yeah, it goes into your memory banks. And then, you know, during postseason, after postseason's over, you know, if it was a great spot and you had some decent success visually or killing something, yeah, you're going to go in and set that sucker up as as a preset right going forward there's no doubt boat trader america's largest boating marketplace offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from sell find and finance new or used boats on america's largest boating marketplace visit boattrader.com to get started yeah and yesterday i was already making the mental note of where that setup needed to be like i was watching the deer the deer movement and i was like man there's this little corner because when I found the sign that I found, I, I immediately kind of like did a circle because I was like, all right, well, which tree do I need to do I want to be in? Right. Like what's going to give me an opportunity? And I ended up picking a tree and, and I looked at another section, another area that was maybe 20 yards, 20 yards from where I the, the, the tree that I picked to get into. And I was going back and forth between the two. And then I finally decided on the tree. And the truth be told, I like I should have got in the one that I <laughs> had had looked at and then walked away from because that was actually where I was seeing the deer the deer movement. But 
you know, all things being equal, I wanted to set up closest to the hot, to the hot sign because I knew that it was being, being used in that area. Now, going forward, I will probably adjust in that specific location. I will probably adjust 20 to 30 yards and set up basically on the corner off this, you know, this uh, inside corner of this fallow field that I think those are using for, for betting. And so that'll most likely be my setup. So not only did I learn something going in there where the fresh sign was going to be laid down, but I actually got a visual of deer movement in there to understand how they want, how they want to move. And for me, I, you know, I don't use scent lock for anyone out there listening that, that does play the wind. You know, I, I also have a sense now of like what the wind was doing that day. And even if it's not for me, for my scent, but it's like, I'm looking at what the wind was doing that day and how the deer were using it which is helpful, you know, so I learned a bunch of different things that I can put in my arsenal then for next year when I do go to set up a preset location. Yep. And, so. and what you said about you sat in one tree, you should have been in the other tree. Yeah. Uh, over the, over the years, there's been many, many times I prepped the wrong tree. And then during season, you know, I've, I found I needed to be in a different tree and then I prepped a different tree during post season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there's, there's been, there's been locations where I'll have three trees prepped probably within 40 yards of each other. Right. And because from one year to the other, the scrape areas may change because uh, this is a, where there's some oaks. The, the area may change according to which oaks are dropping and which oaks at the area are not because there's mm-hmm. multiple oaks in one little zone. And I'll, so I've got three preset trees now and I just hunt the tree that best fits the sign at the time. Right. Right. Yeah. There's a, I was actually trying to freelance my way back to this one little opening in the swamp. Cause there's actually another piece of public that's across. If you, tra- if you were to traverse two more um, private parcels, they kind of, they are the two pieces of property that basically separate this section that I'm hunting from this other public piece that I've hunted in the past. And there's an, there's an apple, an old overgrown apple orchard orchard that's down there. And that was actually what I was trying to make my way to was the edge of that. But I found this sign in between. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to pass hot sign for the unknown on this hunt. I'm just going to hunt this. So my plan is to get back in there and freelance. Probably uh, late rut is probably when I'll do it because these parcels are small enough um, that there's actually not uh, any gun hunting allowed because it's a private permission. And they only allow bow hunting on these pieces. Um, And so I will probably use the gun season or post or, you know, late rut and get in there and kind of freelance hunt my way back to that back to that back edge um, and see what's, see what's happening back there. But I I know we touched on this a little bit when we talked about our access or entry and exit access, but you know, when you're freelance hunting, you know, uh, how, how do you apply your approach of entry and and exit um, access to these particular setups? Like, you know, you have limited information of the property, you know, we talked about that, but I know how diligent you are about your, your access and, uh, both entry and exit. How do you kind of approach it in those freelance situations? Well, typically when you're freelancing, you're going to an unknown location. So it's pretty hard to have a a direct entry route to someplace. You don't know where you're going to end up. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, obviously because I'm more at Scentlock, I'm not concerned about touching vegetation and leaving odor. Um, I just go slow. I, if I'm in a freelance hunt, I go in really early, you know, instead of going in at three o'clock, like I would to a preset location, I'll go in at one o'clock and mm-hmm. I've moved really slow. So I've got less chance of spooking stuff. I'll try to, I'll try to move through openings where I know deer are not going to be bedded during, during midday. 
So, and then I, I basically, on my onyx, you know, I'll look for areas where there may be some oaks, you know, look for a ridge and see some big trees on my onyx and, you know, expand on it and look at them. And, you know, I, I typically, I'm always trying to go to places where there's some semblance of a destination location. Mm-hmm. Obviously, oak with acorns is a destination location on public land. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- so that's what I'll do. And then on, on the exits, uh, I just try to exit in the least invasive way. You always want to try and move through areas on an entry because most freelance hunts are evening because right. you can't freelance in the dark before daylight. Right. Uh, usually I'm, I'm trying to go through openings or areas where deer are not bedded, yet I'm still looking at specific areas that I've found in my onyx that I'm going to kind of key and pinpoint on to see if there's activity at these pinch points or oak, oak ridges or whatever. And, and basically that's what I do. So again, you can't really have a defined entry route, Mm -hmm. uh, if you're going to an unknown location. Right. So, I mean, I think what I'm, my my takeaway is, is that, you know, we're not doing these on morning hunts, right? We're, these are more for, you know, evening setups, getting in after the deer kind of done, done moving, (laughs) being as slow, as diligent and as quiet as possible, given that you're trying to get to areas and cover, cover some, cover some ground is what I'm kind of hearing you say. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the earlier you go in, the slower you can move and the more methodical you can be about, you know, looking at your aerials and, and, uh, you know, more methodical you can be. If you, if you go in late and everything's in a hurry, you're going to set up at a location. That's one thing I see lots of people do. They set up at the first location that looks decent, Right. you know, even, even when they're scouting, for a preset location during postseason, mm-hmm. you know they they scout in the first place that has some sign. You know they set up as opposed to looking the whole area over and, and setting up on something that may be a little more active or have a little bit more sign at it. Yeah, and I actually so this is the, I'll give myself a pat on the back for this because yesterday I kind of had that situation where I was walking in and I wasn't too awfully far in and I found a scrape and it was a decent scrape. Um, you know, not going to lie. And I thought about setting up right there, but as I kind of studied where I was at, I was like, what's going to make a deer walk through here during daylight. Right. And as I was kind of looking, I was like, I was like, I feel like this scrape is being tended at night. It was like, at least this time of year, I was like, maybe you could get lucky, you know, a little bit, you know, maybe at the beginning of November or whatever. I was like, but right now I was like, I just don't feel like, it cause I don't see anywhere specifically where I would determine there to be like significant bedding cover or transition cover you know i mean there was it was swampy so there was a lot of vegetation but i was like i was like i'm just not seeing it i wasn't seeing enough like trails or anything that was leading to it to tell me that like this is where i should set up and so i kind of walked by it and then that's when i found a bunch of rubs kind of all congregated that were super fresh and i was like all right and in addition there was a ton of bedding cover that was there so i was like all right one plus one equals two in this in this area so this is where i'm going to set up so get an A plus for that one. <laughs> <laughs> you brought an A plus for that one because you said the thing that means the most. You said, "Okay, I found some good sign, but is it conducive to daytime mature buck activity?" And a lot of people don't think about that. It's if it's not conducive for daytime activity by a three and a half year old and older buck, and that's what you're pursuing, it's irrelevant. It's yeah. not worth hunting. You've got to have 
you know, when you're freelancing, you've got to go to an area, if you're after big bucks, where there's some semblance of security cover around the kill zone you're hunting and some semblance of transition security cover to a known bedding area or, you know, a bedding area is right next to it. Right. That's so, very critical. Yeah. I, I, day, if it's for daytime, it's worthless. Right. All right. I, I think the one of the biggest things with freelance hunting, because, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you, it's, just in my nature, it's like I like the adventure. I like the adventure of it. So it's something that I'm glad I really started putting into my arsenal. Because one, I mean, the obvious thing is that it's helped me, you know, hunting wise. Because I'm having, I've had encounters on every freelance hunt I've done this year. Um, two, it's you know making me just as we just talked about. I'm looking at the sign much more critically, which also helps me to your point when I'm setting up preset locations, right? Whenever I'm picking spots, when I'm doing my preseason scouting and stuff like that. I'm able to kind of better evaluate what I'm what I'm seeing. Three, and I think it might be the most important thing, is that it's given me more and more confidence to believe what I'm seeing and evaluating, and also inherently giving me more confidence in my freelance setups. So if you know, I guess what I want to ask you or what what would your tips be for someone out there who wants to start freelance hunting to like to help them get started, but also to help give them the confidence to pursue freelance hunting? Uh, I would say the first tip, and this is hands down the number one tip, is get into saddle hunting. Saddle hunting, you're gonna it's something you can put in your backpack with your layering garments and all your other stuff. You're not carrying a big, heavy stand. Because when you're freelance hunting, especially on public land, you're going to be buck and brush. Mm-hmm. And got to carry your bow and a backpack and a cumbersome tree stand and a, some climbing sticks well you're not going to be going through a heavy any kind of heavy security cover or brush because you're just going to be bucking brush too much and it's just not going to work you're going to make a lot of noise and you're going to be cussing and swearing before it's over yep <laughs> so go in some form a strap on step something that's lightweight have your saddle in your backpack uh that may, hunting out of a saddle for freelance hunting is just where it's at period yep. end of discussion it just adds a whole nother level into what you can do and how far in the brush you can go. Um, I guess, secondly, free on freelance hunts, look for destination locations. You know, look look for scrapes or a rub line or look fresh rub line like you did. Mm-hmm. Or look for oaks, something that's dropping food. Because basically, if there's food and it's a preferred food source for that particular area for that time of season... It's going to attract oats, and does attract the mature buck. So, you know, that all goes hand in hand. All buck activity during the rut phases revolves around doe activity. So look for those destination feeding locations back in the timber, and, uh, you know, that's that's where you're going to have the bucks. You know, maybe maybe an oak ridge or maybe just along the edge of a swamp, you know, because bucks tend to – Bucks tend to skirt edges of swamps during the, especially during pre-rut, mm-hmm. because they'll get up during midday. You know, they'll get up at ten, eleven o'clock, and they'll physically scent check the edge of the swamp. And if they smell where a doe had left some timber and went into the swamp to bed down at eight o'clock in the morning, and they scent check that at noon or one o'clock, they're going to smell that. And if she's if she was close to or in heat, they'll they'll take up chase. So, you know, edges of security cover, uh, feeding feeding locations, stuff stuff like that is, is where you want to go. Or obvious sign like scrapes or rub lines. Right. Yeah, and I will agree with you. The saddle hunting 
it's, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to get into where I was into yesterday if it weren't for using a saddle, like period, end of, end of sentence, full stop. Um, you know, I think there's just a couple of things. I know you and I are both buddies with the guys from, from tethered and they make a killer light saddle. That's what I've been using. And, you know, I, I don't use strap on or screw in steps or anything like that. I actually have a set of, uh, sticks that I've cut down to like just 17 inches and I use a rock climbing aider to, to, to climb and I'm able to get 20 plus feet. I can probably max out at like probably 24 feet with three sticks, I think is what I can max out at. Um, which is pretty good for being, for being extremely light and extremely mobile. So I can't sing the praises enough for, you know, saddle hunting and how, and how it's changed, um, my approach. You know, it's, it's funny to say that a piece of gear has, because I've had the same ability to do all the things I'm doing now previously, but the only, the, the biggest difference is, and, and you mentioned it, John, you know, is the ex- the ability to execute cleanly and execute well. That's the biggest change, right? And that, to me, you know, it's it's part mental too. It's like if you're going into a new spot, you know, it's going to be a tough a grind of a of a hike, you know, or or whatever the case is. Knowing that you got to throw a twenty some odd pound stand on the back on your back and try to go do it. In addition, it just kind of is a little bit of a a mental game, right? And so I don't have to deal with that any longer. It's like I know if I want to strip down to bare essentials and ditch all the camera gear and stuff like that, that I don't want to deal with the extra weight. I can literally go in with everything I need in my pouches on my saddle and go and carry my sticks across my shoulder and go. And I'm done. That's it. Yep. You know, and you use naders. Aiders are a really cool thing. Not all people are capable of using aiders, but, uh, you obviously are. And I know some people that are, I, I can, I have some aiders. Um, but yeah, when you, when you're carrying a heavy stand, uh, if you're in a, if you got a climber, there's a lot of trees you can't even hunt with a climber because yeah. you got it. It's, Trees have to be devoid of branches, and there, there's a noise factor, mm-hmm. huge noise factor, going up a tree with a climber or hanging a hang on. Yep. Um, of the fifty bucks I've got in the record book, uh, forty four of them were shot out of a saddle. I've been hunting out of a saddle since 1981. Yep. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even consider hunting out of a tree stand. It wouldn't. I'd, I'd probably quit hunting if I had gone out. Of tree stand. <laughs> it's that big of a difference. Yeah, it it, it <laughs> I is. I wouldn't even know what. It it is a big difference. It's 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 funny because, you know, this is my second full season in a in a saddle, and uh, um, it just I I just credit how much you know uh, I guess the amount of property I've been able to cover and the amount of freelance hunting I've been able to do successfully. When I say successfully, it's like I'm not killed on a freelance hunt, but I've had the encounters that I want to have. Um, which sure. is just moving incrementally closer to, to, you know, sealing a deal and, and, and getting it done. And I've sang the praises of it to the point to where I turned on a couple, a couple different buddies to it. And, you know, one of them was, you know, checking some stuff on a, on a property out of state or he lives in that state in a different state and, you know, rolled in in a saddle and, you know, wasn't really planning to hunt necessarily, but rolled in in a saddle and had, you know, an encounter with a giant that he's now kind of pursuing, you know, and if it weren't for that, like, minimal gear to have to carry in would he have set up and done it or would he have just done his you know scout mission that he was planning to do you know so i mean it's just people that want to be freed of 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 the weight and the ability to kind of just kind of go where you want to go and set up where you want to set up it's like if that sounds like you then i would highly recommend checking out checking out saddle gear because i i think they would fall in love love that word i love the word you just used freed yeah no (laughs) it's 
like I mentioned to you a while ago before we got started, a good friend of mine, David Fairneck, uh, on an Iowa hunt, he's a Michigan guy, um, and he's a big scent lot guy, and he's a big saddle user, has been for years. And his, his success rate when he switched to a saddle from a tree stand and started using scent lock, his, his before and after photos are just like <laughs> totally opposite of each other. I think he had a big, uh, maybe a six pointer before he had shot 15 or so bucks, but they were all little subordinate bucks. And now he's killed lots of big bucks last year on his very first hunt on a DIY Iowa public land hunt. He killed 170 incher. Nice. And the time before that he was in Iowa, he shot 158 incher. Um, and then again, that was a DIY hunt. And what you, what you did, Clint, by in Pennsylvania, for you to go on some freelance hunts and have encounters with bucks on each one of them, that's a successful hunt. Yeah, that to me is a successful hunt because that's not easy to do in Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things, John. All honestly, it's it's um, like the having success and like I think. And I know this is off topic, but I think hunters, especially in certain types of states, need to start quantifying success a little bit differently because I think it can really take the wind out of your sails when you're not when you quantify success by the amount of inches of bone you're putting on on the ground, de- depending on where you're at in your hunting journey, right? And for me, yeah. you know, being able to go out and do some freelance hunting and stuff like that. And I've been hunting since I was a kid growing up, you know. To I me, mean? it's you know, so I'm 41 now, so I've been doing it for a while. But some of the stuff is still that I'm implementing now is is still new, right? So freelance hunting is something that really I really dove into more this year um, than than any of the year. I've dabbled in it, but this year is the first year that I've fully committed to it. Um, and it was in part because I started saddle hunting and framing success, just like you said, of going out to a place that I don't know diddly squat about it. I'm just going to go in and I'm going to figure it out. And then when I figure it out, I'm going to hunt it and seeing bucks on those sits is just a huge confidence boost to know that, Hey, when I see sign, I can, I'm reading it correctly. I'm interpreting it and I can apply this just like we were saying to anywhere that I want to have preset setups. It ultimately helps build confidence whenever I'm doing those out of state hunts, like I'm going to Iowa or I'm hunting in Ohio or whatever, knowing that I'm going to have limited time to figure it out. And I've actually started to really embrace it where I almost prefer, like, I don't really know much about where I'm going in Iowa, I scouted it for three days in March and I don't have any presets spots set up. It's all going to be a hundred percent get there and scout slash still hunt and freelance hunt for probably like the first two or three days to hang cameras and hunt spots of fresh sign and then just keep rotating. And I'll hunt a preset place in the morning. If I don't have any activity, I'll probably get down relatively early morning, right? Right after first like movement should be over and set up for midday, find hot sign for midday setup. And that's going to be kind of the way I'm going to approach that whole trip for two weeks. Oh man, that's off. That's awesome. That's that's absolutely awesome. I think of the my of of the bucks that I've got in the book. I of right around ten of them were killed on freelance hunts where I'd never been there before. Mm-hmm. And and it's just it's it's it just when you kill a buck on a freelance hunt, it just gives you a whole nother feeling. Yeah. It's it's. Totally different than killing a buck at a preset location. Just totally different. Yep, 100%. It's very gratifying. Well, I think I think that kind of covers By freelance. The way, yeah, go ahead. Can I go ahead and say something? Yeah. Um, I want to really thank the uh, hunting public guys because, and also Greg and Ernie because they're 
Greg and Ernie at Tether are taking this saddle hunting thing to a whole nother level because of their social media skills. Mm-hmm. And uh, the hunting public guys, you know, I met them this year on that uh, challenge, public land challenge. And what a bunch of great guys. And they are also bringing this freelance, do-it-yourself hunting, hunting public land to a whole nother level where it's, you know, if you're hunting in PA or West Virginia on public land and you kill a 85-inch eight-point that's a two-and-a-half-year-old buck, you know, that may be as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. And they're making it so those people that are doing that don't feel left out. You know, because all you ever see in the big media is 100, you know, I'm not going to shoot that buck. Drury's, it's 150-inch, I'll let him grow another year. Well, that right. is like hunting in a zoo. Right. That is so far from reality that it's not even funny yeah. for, for the average guy. So I, I really want to thank the, the hunting public again for bringing this whole public land to light and for really popularizing this do, do-it-yourself uh, freelance hunting. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Because I, you know, it's I, I've had the you know fortune to meet you know Zach a couple times and have him have had him on the show and have had had uh, Aaron on the show. Just a good group of dudes that just love the grind and love the adventure of it. And you know, I'd be lying if I said that you know some of the inspiration for me to really adopt freelance hunting. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't in part influenced by them. You know, and just some of the conversations that I've had with Zach or that I've had with you. You know, it's like all these guys that I feel very fortunate to you know, I say I have this podcast but you know, I really just have a group of friends that I like to hunt, talk hunting with <laughs> and I just feel lucky that I have some guys that I that I uh that I look up to that are who I consider to be some of the the best deer hunters that you that you'll ever meet. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it, it's humbling to be able to talk to folks like yourself and, and, and Zach and those guys that, um, you know, I think help change the course of, of things for, for folks and help people have success. So, um, I think with that, I think might be a good place to, uh, to end the show. But, uh, before we do that, I want to, uh, first thank you for doing these three parts, uh, with me. I really appreciate it. I know the listeners are going to get a ton of great information out of it, but also want to give you a chance to talk about all the places people can find out more about you and any, you know, courses or anything that you have available. Okay. Well, I've written three bow hunting books and I've, uh, I made four instructional bow hunting DVDs and they're all available on my website at www.deer dash j-o-h-n.net deer hyphen john.net or you could just google my name john ebert and you'd find it and i'm also doing these uh, white tail workshops i only do three a year i do them all in february i'm sorry march and april on weekends saturday sunday and basically uh they're two-day deals uh saturdays in the field all day we visit a bunch of locations and then at the end of the saturday in field event um, if anybody's interested in learning how to hunt out of a saddle and sit in it and how to u- properly set the tree up for it, um, basically we do about a two-hour seminar after the Saturday event uh, in the woods, allow everybody to get in a saddle 18 inches off the ground and try it in the different saddles. Um, and then Sunday is an all-day seminar um, at Jay's Sporting Goods up in Clare, Michigan. And they give everybody a 15% discount voucher, and you sit in office office chairs. It's in a regular seminar room. Mm-hmm. So those are two-day events. And that's called Eberhardt's Whitetail Workshop. And that's 
Uh, that's on my website as well at deer-john.net. Awesome. Well, thank you, John, so much for coming on. I appreciate it, man. And uh, good luck. I'm glad to hear that you're recovering from your from your uh, shoulder surgery and stuff. And good luck in Kansas and uh, during the rest of the Michigan season, my friend. I hope to talk to you soon. Thank, thank you. And I do want to say one more thing. Yeah. I am never going to feel as lethargic as I do right now. Not being able to do anything all summer or work out because I'm a workout freak. Mm-hmm. And not being able to work out. I'm in the worst shape of my life, and I just feel terrible. So next year, this is not going to happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll be sure to, ch- I'll be sure to check in with you. Thanks, Clint. Right, Appreciate you the uh, opportunity. You bet. All right, folks, that's a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'd be super appreciative if you do those two things for us. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skullbrew Coffee Company, Gumleaf USA Boots, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see you all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.